This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohen Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. We've been talking about Dogen's universally recommended instructions for Zazen. And where we finished last time, Dogen said, if you want to realize such, get to work on such right now. Don't hesitate. So we have a sense that he might start telling us what we should actually do. For practicing Zen, a quiet room is suitable. Eat and drink moderately. Put aside all involvements and suspend all affairs. This is interesting because in the beginning it looks as if it will be concrete. And we're kind of waiting to learn how to do Zazen. But he says, for practicing Zen, a quiet room is suitable. It's a very minor point, and there are some who would disagree with me. But for me, it's worth noting that he doesn't say for practicing Zazen. He says for practicing Zen. He's still speaking in broad terms. But a quiet room is suitable. Because that's true. But I think some of us, at least some of the time, fall into a trap of thinking that this kind of advice is problematic. That the suggestion that we might be able to organize our lives in a particular way that supports practice, that we might be able to make choices or even avoid certain things in the support of practice is somehow misguided. Because we fall into an absolute view in which everything is perfectly realized exactly as it is. And therefore, any advice like this starts to look kind of uh, like cheating. Right? You say, well, let's, let's practice in a quiet room. And people say, well, if you were really practicing Zen, you wouldn't need a quiet room. Right? You could sit down in the middle of Times Square and practice Zazen and nothing would be different. I hear this kind of thing a lot, actually. To which my very simple response would be, if you're in Times Square, then you practice Zen in Times Square. But if you have the option of practicing in a quiet room, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay for us to recognize that some things some concrete and some atmospheric things support us. And we can learn to recognize what those are, and we can choose them. One thing I wish that we had here was is a huge drum. Because in Japan, when you sit in Zazen, they keep time with the drum. And so one aspect, you're sitting there, you're sitting, and it's so quiet, and what you're doing is so still. But the soundtrack of sitting, 
at certain times of day is the same soundtrack as if you were going to war. You know, boom! And it shakes your bones. And there's this sense of the, the power of what we're doing. It's very generous, that sound. We can't just support, we can't just uh, make the soundtrack of Zazen like ding. Because then if we do that, Zazen will be ding. Right. Every once in a while, Zazen is boom. And we feel something very, very different. And we recognize that this is not quite as soft as it might look, and it's not as removed as it might look. Eat and drink moderately. There is no circumstance in which this is not good advice. (laughs) We'll just take it. Put aside all involvements and suspend all affairs. I love this line because Dogen lived at a time when that was really pretty easy to do. <laughs> right. And, and for much of his life, he lived deep in the woods with almost no one else around. Right. And still he's saying, put aside all involvements, suspend all affairs. We might understand this as, as an intellectual exercise. Right. Let things go. Don't worry about the exercise, the, uh, the errand that you need to run later. You know, don't fixate on something that you're not going to do right now. But for us, where we actually carry machines that vibrate to let us know that someone has chosen to communicate with us, this has great resonance. And again, he hasn't gotten to the part where he's telling us how to sit. He's just talking about conducting our lives. We have to be able to do this. We have to be capable of turning off the phone. If you can't do it, that's your step one for doing everything that follows. I sit at work every day. It's... it's amazing that I work in a place where people sit. But when you're working and when it's your office and everyone is sitting, it can be very difficult not to bring work into Zazen. Because I'm working on something and I'm trying to figure it out and trying to piece it together. And then, oh, it's time to sit. And we sit. And if I'm not careful, that becomes a period of really clear reflection on work. The ability to do what you're doing is rare. Do not think good or bad. I think this should be a bumper sticker. (laughs) Because it's a mind-stopping idea. At how many moments 
in your day-to-day, did you not include good and bad? We can understand this generally, but we can also understand it specifically about practice. The dialogue you have in your mind about your practice is your number one obstacle to practice. Much worse than a noisy room. Much worse than your phone is the story that you're telling yourself about whether you are doing well or whether you are failing. Or whether practice itself is inherently good. Which by extension would suggest that you're good. Do not judge true or false. So hard. Give up the operations of mind, intellect, and consciousness. Stop measuring with thoughts, ideas, and views. This word measuring is very important and it comes up over and over and over again. Especially when Dogen is talking about Zazen. When he's talking about the operations of mind, he is usually talking about the function of measuring. Wherein we evaluate things. Wherein we compare things to other things, mostly things that are not real. We compare this weather to the weather that we imagine it might be. And we compare this period of Zazen most likely to the best period of Zazen ever. That one time when it really felt good. We can carry that one around for years. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. This is usually considered a reference to a story, and maybe it's one I've told before, but I'll tell it again. It's, it's one of the classics. As always, there's a teacher and a student. And the student is sitting in Zazen. And the teacher, I always think it's funny because you don't usually talk to people when they sit, but the teacher just walks up to him and says, what are you doing? The student says, I'm making a Buddha. The teacher says, hmm, okay. So he goes and he digs around and he finds a a tile a roof tile, one of these clay tiles that you see on Chinese roofs and Japanese roofs. And he sits down and he just starts rubbing it. He's rubbing it really carefully. And he's doing this right in front of the guy who's doing Sazen. And the guy's really trying and really trying, but finally he just can't take it anymore. He says, okay, what? What are you doing? And the teacher says, I'm making a mirror. And the student says, that, says, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you can polish that thing for the rest of your life, and it will never be a mirror. 
And the teacher says, then what makes you think that you can make a Buddha? There's so much to this. It's an amazing story. But, but one of the simplest ways to understand it, and it's something we don't think about very often, is that you can't make something from something else. Not if there's just one ingredient. Right? You can't make a cookie from just one thing. You need multiple things to interact. But this is a story about people trying to make something from just one thing. The student is trying to make a Buddha from himself. And the teacher is trying to make a mirror from a piece of clay, essentially. The message that we come back to over and over and over again is that only a Buddha can become a Buddha. If in this practice there is Buddha, that means that Buddha already is present. Buddha is not what comes out of the oven. So if we want to resort to all this absolutist Mahayana language and say that that everything is already fully realized, that means that when you are sitting Zazen, that is Buddha sitting Zazen. In this practice, for there to be any fruition, the ground and the fruition must essentially be the same. There is no going from point A to point B. There's just point A. Until you figure out where you have always been. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. We have to be careful here too because when we hear this language that, you know, someone says you're already Buddha, we might hear that to mean you're, you're already perfect just the way you are. Right? Don't hear it that way. The message of you are already Buddha is not you're already perfect just the way you are. The message of you are already Buddha is you don't know who you are yet. If I hear this message and say, yippee, I'm Buddha. (laughs) All I'm doing is exercising some idea about what I think that means. That's not useful. What's useful when I hear that I am already Buddha is to think, oh, either that's not true, which I should investigate, or it is true, in which case I don't know what that means. If you are already Buddha, that means you are already not 
what you imagined yourself to be. You can sit with that. And that will take you very, very far. And this paragraph ends with, how could that be limited to sitting or lying down? So he clarifies at the end, I was not talking about Zazen. Not yet. This is true in everything that you do. Practicing Zen is not just one thing. It's everything. And whatever is true in Zazen is true outside of it. And if everything that is true inside something is true outside of that thing, that means that there is no inside and outside of that thing. And then we start to understand what it means to undertake continuous practice. How could that be limited? And we might ask ourselves, why do we feel that it is? I'll stop there for today. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.